As always, I'm your host, Emma, and today we're going to be talking about the book Earthlings. Now, actually, originally this episode was supposed to be about Plato's Republic, but I was not mentally in the mood <laughs> to go through all of that. And Dakota Warren recommended in one, of her, in one of her videos that we need to read this book. So I was like, if Dakota Warren says I need to read a book, I need to read a book. And I this book has also been on my list to read, but I picked it up and... I have so much to say, but at the same time, I also have nothing to say. I had to read this book twice. I literally read it, walked away for a day, then found myself coming back to reread it because I was just like, what did I just read? Before we get into it, um, let's talk about the author. Sayaka Murata is probably one of one of my new favorite writers. I really like her writing style. It's very unique. And Convenient Store Woman has been on my list to read. And I was told that you should have read convenience store women before earthlings because i guess it kind of is like the stepping stone of her writing but i guess i read them out of recommended order but i do plan to go back to read convenience store women i heard it's absolutely fantastic and i did see that apparently she's coming out with a new book in 2022 called life ceremony which i did not know about so i'm also having that on my to read list and i always think it's important to talk about the translators especially being Japanese to English is a very hard language to translate. There's tends to be no direct translation for many words and just well just translating as a whole. But translating Japanese into English is probably one of the hardest languages, at least um like research has shown and translators have spoken about. It's one of the hardest because in Japanese I only know a little bit of it and I kinda of forgot most of it after taking a semester of it. But like they'll have one word that's like a phrase. So in English, it's very hard because they'll say one word and that's a whole sentence. And then you gotta find out how to say that in English with multiple words. It's a very beautiful language. But um, this was translated by Ginny Takamori and she also translated Convenience Store Woman. And I think this is also just another way of me kind of spearheading the idea of I wish we gave translators more kind of recognition because they do a very hard and sometimes almost impossible job to translate it and they're pretty much rewriting the entire book and editing it and all of that. So it's definitely hard to be a translator and I give them credit for what they do and I wish we gave them more recognition. So our main protagonist is Natsuki and she views herself as an outsider and actually she claims that in her words she feels like an alien. She's emotionally distant, she's isolated and she feels very misunderstood by the way um, the world around her works. I literally have just been spending the whole day recording and editing episodes <laughs> i'm trying to get this all done because um i plan to take part of a national novel writing month and i just realized all my books that i need to record with are on the whole other opposite side of the room but i got it and the back of the book says natsuki is a young girl who feels like she's been dropped into her family from an alien planet and what i love about also one of the reasons that drew me into the book is there's a stuffed hedgehog on the front and I love hedgehogs. I've always wanted a hedgehog. I want to name him Steve. Don't ask me why. There's no real answer. It's just, I'm like, a Steve is a name that would fit a hedgehog. And the hedgehog's name is Pute. Pute? Yeah, I think that's how you pronounce it. It's P-I-Y-Y-U-T. Pute. At least that's how I always thought it was pronounced. And she views modern society as a factory. And it's very interesting how she describes it. 
Chapter 2 actually goes, starts out with, My town's a factory for the production of human babies. People live in nests packed closely together. It's just like the silkworm room in Granny's house. The nests are lined up neatly in a row, and each contains a breeding pair of male and female humans and their babies. The breeding pairs raise their young inside their nest. I live in one of these nests too. The baby factory produces human connected by flesh and blood. Eventually, we children will also leave the factory and be shipped out. Once shipped out, male and female humans are trained on how to take food back to our own nest. They become society's tool, receive money from other humans, and purchase food. Eventually, these young humans also form breathing pairs, coop themselves up in new nests, and manufacture new babies. This was how I always thought it was, and when they gave up a sex education class in the beginning of fifth grade, I felt vindicated. My womb was a factory component and the and would couple with someone's testes, which were also a factory component, in order to produce babies. Male and females also crawl around their nests with these factory components hidden within their bodies. I was now married to you, but being an alien, he probably couldn't make babies. If we couldn't find his spaceship, society would make me form a breeding pair with someone else. I hope we would find his spaceship before that happened. Pete was asleep in the bed I made for him in my study desk drawer. I continued to use the magic wand and mirror he'd, he'd secretly given me. My magical powers helped me to keep my life forward into the future. Oh yeah, and uh, by the way, you and her are cousins. And then we pulled like a secret history in chapter two rather than waiting to tell us about that. But actually, let me explain. Um, you is her closest friend and in the beginning of the book, she's a child. So you is the only person, well, they're both children. You is the only person that she feels understands and connects with her. So I kind of don't see it as like a romantic sexual marriage. I see it more of a, they have a deep bond between one another and they deeply care about one another. Almost like, you know, like when you're in elementary school and you're like, well, you're my husband now because we held hands. I think it was more like one of those things. Um, I mean, take it as you, as you may. I've heard other analysis of it that no they, it was like an essential relationship i think it was more of a we're the only two to understand each other i guess that means we're married like how like kids because kids can't really grasp the understanding of marriage and what that comes with both legally sexually romantically all that stuff but what i do find is cute they actually make a marriage pact with one another and this was very important to the rest of the book rule one is don't hold hands with anyone else I think that's where I kind of get the idea of this is very like elementary school relationship kind of thing. Like, oh, you're not allowed to hold hands with anyone else because you're married to me. They have to wear their rings even when they're asleep. And the most important was survive whatever it takes because they only get to see each other over the summer. And that really hurts Nasuki and you because they both feel like they are the only ones that understand one another. Nasuki feels that she's an outsider and you actually believes that he is an alien. So they're kind of the only ones that understand each other and kind of have formed this bond and relationship with one another. Um, she believes her stuffed hedgehog, Pute, who I mentioned earlier, who is on the front cover and he's just so cute. I love this little stuffed hedgehog. She believes that he's an alien from a faraway planet called Pinopiopa. Pinopiopa. When I tell you, I've tried to find out how to pronounce it, but it's not a real word. And when you look it up, it only comes back to earthlings. And so it's very hard for me to try to find a proper spelling of it. And you also believes he's an alien from this planet. So he believes that him and Pew are from the same alien planet 
called Popini Popa. Popini Popa. You all can make fun of me uh, for how I pronounce that. Please, <laughs> please do. I'm sure. I'm sure I sound even funnier on recording. And I know going back to edit this, I'm like, Emma, you sound so stupid. So like I said, the novel starts out simple and honestly lighthearted. It's two children playing make-believe and you feel like you are the third person that understands them. These two feel they only understand each other and then there's you that's kind of following them and watching them and kind of trying to understand and grasp their reality as well as they're trying to grasp their reality. But then the novel takes a very dark and twisted turn and more traumatic events happen in Asuki that is starting to build more and more on her isolation and mental health and events she comes in contact with. Well, I'm trying not to, I'm trying to figure out the words because honestly, going into this book, I knew nothing about it. So even this stuff caught me like by surprise. Um, if you've read the book, I'm sure you know exactly what events I'm talking about right now. But um, she is uh, broken up by you, her parents, and you's parents refuse to let them see each other anymore. Then she is kind of neglected by her parents. And then her uh, teacher, when she's a child, sexually assaults her. And when she tells her parents about it, the parents blame her. Well, mainly her mom. And then her dad kind of just is the bystander for all of it. So it's just one thing after another and I was not expecting that when I tell you I had to go back and read that because I was like, whoa, that was so something I was not expecting. And kind of the rest of the novel builds off of that because she actually kills the teacher a couple years later. But we'll get more to that in a moment. And you see the trauma of this and all these events that have significantly impacted her and you see how she copes with it and especially as a child she copes with continuing the belief of aliens and Pute's magic powers and all this stuff and i truly believe it is a sign of coping and her parents so you gotta stop doing all this make-believe all this stuff but i think it's how she's coping with what has happened because no one in the real world will understand her and she feels that she is part of this alien world and that these aliens will listen to her because Pute, her little stuffed hedgehog, without you, she feels Pute is the only person or thing that understands her and that is connecting her with these aliens that will provide her a different life and a life away from what she has just experienced and what she's going through right now. It's very sad to see and you kind of just want to like jump into the book and give her a hug and say, it's not your fault. Let, let, let's find you help, let's get you justice, this and that, and you can't. It's one of those, you can scream as loud as you want at her, but she can't hear you, and it's very sad. And books like that really kind of bring, I think, something out of a reader. And when done wrong, it can seem as very, like, spitting in the face of people that have gone through this, but I think Murata takes such care of the events, and she writes them in a way that it's not milking it or romanticizing it or using it as shock factor. It's very, this is what has happened to her and this is how she's coping with it. And this is kind of what events like this can do to the psyche, especially to a child that's still developing. I mean, 
things like this can absolutely traumatize a full adult and imagine was like as a child who does not understand what this means the consequences of this and having it happen to you by a teacher who you trusted and respected and especially in japan they're very strict with um hierarchies and titles and she talks about a little bit like um different age groups and hierarchies and how things are seen and to be taken advantage of that and not fully understand the grasp of it as a child I think this is really showing up in how she processes this and why she continues with these um, images and beliefs of alien plants. I mean, going back to her marriage pack, she said, like, well, we're not allowed to hold hands with other people. It's a very childish concept of what marriage is, is that you hold someone's hands and that shows that you guys are in love. And then only a couple of pages later to be sexually abused by a teacher in a very grotesque way it really kind of compares what she thought relationships and marriages were when she go oh, well i hold hands with you so that means we're married to then have this happen it, it was very sad to see and it made it caused me to have like a visual reaction kind of similar to lolita the idea of taking advantage of a young girl that does not fully understand what is happening because she's a child and she should be allowed to be a child and not have to worry about this or think about this or be forced into situations like this. And it all, and it really kind of spins the tone of the book and really we start to understand now the consequences of this as she continues to age. She does eventually marry someone, another man who's just as isolated as she was, he refuses human contact with others because he was also sexually abused. And he starts to believe um, Natsuki's stories of aliens and the alien planet. If you guys want me to say again, like Pinopibupa, Pinopobia, Pinopiobia. Okay, I'm done trying to pronounce it now because I feel like I'm just saying the same thing over and over again. And they actually meet because he puts an ad online. So apparently there is a website and I don't know if it's real. I, it was very hard to try to find one in Japan because it's all Japanese and I could not properly put it into my search engine. But apparently there are websites. Like I was able to find that these websites do exist, but I was not able to like get onto one. And because I also don't speak Japanese, it's very hard to navigate Japanese websites um so I couldn't properly put like the symbols into my computer to bring me directly to one of them but apparently there are websites where people can um find relationships kind of to stop the pressure of getting married I was also one of my friends who is a Chinese actually says they in China for like big festivals like um, fall festivals and uh, new years and all that stuff you can buy a boyfriend or a girlfriend to stop the pressures of getting married I was like oh my gosh like I never thought about that and it's not even like sugar baby or sugar daddy stuff it's very just hey you're just gonna pretend to be my boyfriend we're not gonna kiss we're not gonna hold hands we're not gonna do anything we're just gonna pretend we were a couple so I stopped getting pressure from marriages and going down that little rabbit hole and searching for that stuff was very interesting and part of me's like do we have stuff like this in um Something that's like, because I know the only thing I've ever heard of like paying someone to be your boyfriend or girlfriend is very 
like sugar baby prostitution kind of thing. That's how it very much was for me because that's what we have in America and that's what we think of very straight away. But no, this was a very like pure like, you're just gonna come out to dinner with my family and we're gonna act like we're boyfriend and girlfriend. And I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder what that's like. Like I just wonder what was that experience like for both parties. And so he actually has it. And on page 103, uh, Nosuki says, I went to the marriage page and checked the categories for no sex, no children, register marriage, and search for a partner. The boyfriend's, well, husband's profile comes up. It says, 30-year-old man, Tokyo resident, urgently seeking marriage partner to escape family surveillance. Business-like arrangement with all housework share, separate finances, and separate bedrooms preferred. Absolutely no sexual activity, preferably no physical contact beyond handshake. Someone who refrains from showing bare skin in shared spaces is preferred. So that's how her and her husband actually meet. It says that her boyfriend is asexual on the back of the book. And she's very traumatized from what has happened and she does not mind the no sex. In fact, she actually checks the box for no sex. So you can kind of see how this event in her past has really affected her relationship with other people because she has even gone on saying like, oh, don't touch this area or don't do this because it's dirty because of what my teacher did. And it's very hurtful to see someone as a child say that and it continue on into her adulthood because it's not her fault what happened and she seems to blame herself and the kind of way that situation, it's absolutely heartbreaking because you just want to like scream into the book like, no, Nasuki, it's not your fault. Stop blaming yourself. Stop letting yourself feel like you're dirty. You're not dirty. You are a beautiful human being and we want to help you and this isn't your fault. This is 100% the teacher's fault. And it, it hurts so badly to see because it's almost as if like we talked about Lolita and that was very like in the moment of her sexual exploitation by Humbert Humbert and her sexual abuse. And this is, we see the sexual abuse and then we have like 200 pages more of learning the consequences of it. And it's just very hard to see. And I was, again, I went into this book not expecting that. And getting that, I was like, whoa, this was a lot heavier of a book than I thought it was going to be. Especially with the front cover, it's just a picture of a hedgehog. And it's, it's a very deep book and you really see the coping and well, the trying to cope with any consequences of actions like this have on the innocent party. Because the teacher didn't feel any guilt. Teacher didn't care. But poor Nasuki, who is the victim, is carrying this burden with her, which she shouldn't, and it's very heartbreaking to see. Traumatic events and the ideas of the factory causes uh, Nasuki to shape her mind and grasp reality in the way she does. And this causes this book, like I said earlier, to go from this lighthearted book of children making believe, and that's where we get the idea of all these aliens to this is almost like her survival methodhood. And she talks about suicide and hoping to be brainwashed into finally being somewhat happy like other humans and it's very hard to see something that was seen as a way for children to have fun make, make believe is something that children do to have fun with others and to see that then become her coping mechanism is very painful and heartbreaking to see and she says that the factory always wins because either you were brainwashed and you follow the factory and you assimilate to them, or you live life as an outsider and you're seen as a monster. You are never free. And part of me wonders, like, 
would she see the world this dark and kind of hopeless if these events didn't happen to her? Because like, I, I want Asuki to be happy. I want her to live life to the fullest and you don't get that. And she doesn't get that. She's not granted that peace. And it's very sad all because of events that happened to her because of other people and their malicious intents. She does actually end up killing the teacher. And when she does, it is seen as this fantastical battle of magic and witches and this and that. And she kills him with like a garden sickle, I think they called it. And she thinks she killed the witch and that everything was in her head and make believe, but no, she actually killed the teacher. So in a way, I guess she does get justice. She does end his life in the kind of least amount of justice there could be because it doesn't help her. And some people were insane. It's like, oh, well, she did get justice because she killed her teacher. I go, but then she lives with the guilt of that. And then she, she just can't win. She can't get what she needs. And it's just so sad to see because she, because we think, oh, well, she killed him and he's and she's going to be better because this witch is not haunting her anymore. And his actions aren't going to come back again because who knows, he could always come back again. But no, now she lives with the guilt of killing him and trying to realize like, oh, this wasn't in my head. This really happened. And it's just, she can't win. And you want her to just be happy and you want her to be healthy. And it's just not happening. It's very sad to see. And it's hard to think that she's getting better and then she's not. And then different things happen. And she's, and you want to think that, yeah, she got justice and she's going to be better because he's dead. But that doesn't happen. Aliens and the magic and her stuffed animals are coping mechanisms for her trauma. And they serve as a way to return to a time before she was hurt and a place that she can share with you because after her assault by the teacher, her mom blames, blames her for the family doesn't let her see you because they found that the two quote-unquote got married. Her husband also is traumatized, so he's distant with her just like she's distant with him. And you think that being rid of the teacher, at least on, on Earth, would help her, but it doesn't. You're stuck now also saying, how can we help her? What what will help her? And the answer is, I don't think anything will help her because of how traumatized she is. And there is no solution in the book in that. That, I think, is what I'm trying to say. Is there, we're not given a solution in the book. We don't get a, a happy ending physically on this Earth. I mean, she has this illusion that she's going up in the spaceship. But that's not real. She doesn't get a happy ending and we want a happy ending. We always want a happy ending for for the the protagonist that we're rooting for. We, we want Nisuki to be happy and we want her to heal and we want her to find love and we want her to reconnect with you and we want her husband to be healed and we want you to be happy and we want everyone to be happy and it's, we're not gonna get that. It's very hard to see and that is why I think this book was so gripping for me because I wanted the happy ending because the book took such a twist I was not expecting. I'm like, oh, we'll just twist back and be happy again and I don't get that twist. But I still did like the book. Did, did I love it? No. Did I hate it? Also no. I think it sets a solid like three stars for me. I do recommend you read it. Um, 
do be warned, it the dark turns are dark. I went into that not knowing that. But honestly, I think, if anything, going in blindly to books sometimes is better than it is. Because I'm usually not into fantastical fantasy. I mean, I guess, I really don't know how you would classify this. I guess maybe fantasy because of, well, or science fiction or like slice of life. Like, I don't know how you would classify this book, but... Usually I see aliens, I'm just like, nope, going the other way. But um, I am glad I read this book. I also do like that the cover is purple. I did get the purple version of it. There's like a green version, a black version, a blue version, the purple one. I don't know. I guess maybe the different colors are for different countries because different countries have different covers for many things. But I am happy I got the purple one because I think if I got the green one, I'd be very unhappy. I'm not going to lie, you guys, I don't like the color green. But I do recommend checking out. I'm going to read Convenience Store Woman. It's on my list to read. I think after reading this one now, I'm very interested to see how we go from giving you Star Woman to Earthlings because I always thought there's a, like a, a jump from one to the other. I wanna, I wanna see her writing style evolve. And they also, Convenience Star Woman's also translated by the same translator, and I did like how she translates this. So I'm looking forward to that. But that's all for this episode. Next episode, we are going to have a special guest with us, our first guest ever, my friend Brian. We're going to be talking about Norse mythology, all that fun stuff. So excited to have him on. He's great. He um, has an account called The Western Voyager. He does movie reviews and book reviews and poetry analysis. And he also writes his own stuff. Absolutely fantastic, you guys. Then after that, we're actually going to be talking about one of my favorite characters ever, um, Okiawa Turu from Haiku. And it's going to be kind of our first episode solely focused on a character and character development and he's a character that greatly impacted me and i really love him he's one of my favorite characters ever i'm talking on movie characters book characters everything he's one of my favorite characters ever and then we're going to be talking about my policeman to wrap up next week then i feel like we're almost done today i'm actually working a lot on recording and everything and editing so just kind of a day of me with my microphone and my computer with all my scripts and a stack of books to talk about which is never a bad thing but thank you for stopping by as always thank you for the support i'm planning for season three so if you have anything you want to see if you want to come on the show if you have any recommendations books topics movies and most importantly if you want to come on and talk about this stuff i love having guests after talking with brian and then also being able to interview another writer friend i absolutely love having guest on it's great i'm getting better at it hopefully because i've never had guests on so it's a lot working things out but please if you want to come off you have recommendations don't hesitate to let me know thank you for the support and as always this has been the notes from the library